Welcome back to Kyle's Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing Blood of Elves Chapter 7, the final chapter in the first full-length novel of The Witcher Saga. Um, and what's so special about this chapter is it's an inverse of uh, of the, the Siri and Geralt stuff. It's, a, uh, it's actually longer than those chapters. It's one of the longest chapters in the, uh, in the book. Uh, but it, it's done to sort of parallel how... Siri reacts with Yen, and how Siri interacted with Geralt. Um, and it's really established that mother-daughter relationship, just like she had the established father-daughter relationship, so that we really get the sense of this family is growing and finding its place. And there's a lot of fun, very cute moments, uh, world-building moments, uh, hints of things to come. It's overall a very strong chapter, probably one of the strongest in this, outside of, I say, maybe chapter four. Uh, this is um, what I, this chapter is kind of in, is sort of uh, emblematic of what I come to this series for. It's the, it's the characters, it's their interactions, uh, and it's the one time in which they're going to be happy because uh, uh, next book, things get turned upside down in very harsh ways and that, and so you come back and you look upon this and the chapters in Caramel Morn as well uh, to parallel the Geralt and Ciri and the Yennefer and Ciri thing uh, with, uh, with a sense of nostalgia and a sense of longing because this is what the characters are fighting for right here. Um, in the, the rest of the books are about them trying to keep together in a world that does not care and does not want that. Um, and want and agency is actually a big part of this chapter. Um, we get introduced to the dichotomy between Siri and Yennefer uh, in a non-linear fashion, which I thought was actually pretty cool. So we meet them, you know, about ha you know about halfway through their development, and then we flash back to their first meeting, and then you know we get vignette style, uh, you know, they're them getting accustomed, and then we catch up, and then we go and we continue onwards until the end. Um, and so this allows a counterbalance because, you know, Yen and Siri, you know, are both <laughs> very feisty people in different ways, mind you, but they are still very feisty people. And so they're going to take time to get accustomed to each other. And their connection, that being Geralt, has different meanings for both of them. And there is this sense of um, unease about the relationship with him because, you know, Siri desperately wants to uh, stay with Geralt, but uh, didn't he send her to the temple because he knew she would be safer, and uh, as we saw with the trap he's laying uh, in the previous chapters, and then, um, you know, she feels like that, you know, he's not going to come back, and she's like, no, no, I, I, I want him to, and, uh, and, and, of course, Yen has been separated from Geralt for years, you know, uh, it, it separated from Geralt for years at this point, and she doesn't know how to feel about things, you know, she was the dear friend letter, you know, was written to get her to come here, and, um, you know, there's this sense of uh, jealousy between her and Siri at the very beginning uh, that evolves and changes. Um, and while it may be petty, and it certainly is, it's an understandable one, because Triss was called the Karamoran, um, to, uh, to assist with what's going on with Siri. Um, and Yen was the second one called, and the thing is, is that she doesn't know where she lies with him. 
you know, is she still his lover, the love of his life? Is she something else? Is she just the dear friend? What is she to him and what is he to her now? And this child, this new element, this, you know, Siri, this child of surprise has uh, fallen into her lap, in his lap, and they're trying to cope with it as the best they can. And she fears that, you know, because she wasn't trusted to be called the Karamoran, that maybe he has lost those feelings for her that, you know, he refused to admit back in Shard of Ice. And there's this, um, there's that great line of what, what is there between you and Geralt, uh, you know, uh, Mistress Yennefer, and she goes, you know, longing, regret, hope. Uh, you know, it is the perfect explanation of, you know, what that uh, relationship is and how it's topsy-turvy and, uh, and how they both want to say I love you. <laughs> Even Neneki, you know, is, 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 she always calls everybody out on their bullshit, especially Geralt and Yen, and she's like, no, you, you know what that feeling is. You just don't want to say it because something in you says you can't experience that, just like him, you know? Uh, and within that, that, that comes that uh, sense of they can't, um, they can't communicate correctly, and so now that they have this, you know, child, and nothing can prepare you, prepare you for being a parent, no matter you know what context even no matter how hard you try and prepare um there becomes a a, you know a situation where it's hard to deal with and there's actual psychological uh conditions around that you know postpartum depression uh and stuff like that where you know it's, it's hard to adjust and so it's going to take them time. And so that's where we, the non-linear, so we can see them being relatively all right with each other uh, to, you know, past where they're snippy and then move forward to the future where they're all nice and cuddly and definitely, definitely have become their daughter. And what I like about this scene or, you know, th- th- this chapter is how... Siri reflects Yen and Yen reflects Siri uh, in different ways. You know, you got the, the almost childish jealousy in Yen and you have the, the cold manipulative of Yara by uh, Siri. And so they, they reflect each other and they're just as feisty as one of each other. So they keep, you know, ramming into each other of like, you know, I won't do this or blah, blah, blah. Uh, the, that entire bit where Siri lies on the test, uh, and Yen just is like, ah, fucking damn it, basically, and it's just like, I would have done that if I, as, as when I was a kid, you know, um, and we see them grow and change and affect each other, um, and I, I like the way that Yen handles things, uh, for his teaching. She teaches Siri, but after a little bit, she hands the reins to Siri and lets Siri train herself. Um, you know, that uh, eventually the student must become the teacher in a way. And in some ways, they must be willing to learn and understand how to learn by teaching themselves. So the tests, you know, Siri asks, you know, why are we doing so many tests? You know, haven't you already come to the conclusion? And Yin goes, oh, yeah, I came to the conclusion a long time ago. But the tests were not about that. They were about something else. Now, what do you mean? Well, considering we haven't been talking this entire time uh, verbally, but instead telepathically, let me give you a hint, basically, you know, that um, Siri needed to accept that she was uh, and can do magic, that magic is a part of her. Um, and that's where the entire virginity discussion comes in. I really like how they compare, you know, Sukeski compares that to the way Geralt handled 
her training as a witcher with the the girl thing you know when she's like i can't do it i'm a girl and and he goes all right girl and he kind of just didn't you know basically just rams you know the idea into her that your gender didn't matter it, it this isn't about that and if you're going to keep insisting on that i will insist on you that way too but i'm going to do it in a way that shows you how ludicrous of an idea it is to do that um, and Yen does the same with the virginity. She's like, I can't cast spells because I'm a virgin. And she's like, all right, then, uh, if you feel like you can't do that, go out there, find someone. I don't care. Um, and, you know, it's just showing that, you know, that's not what that was about. Mausak talked about that in, uh, Question of Price and Geralt questioned that then. And, and so, you know, it, it, it we know uh, especially in Show Device, where it's really brought up of how certain things in magic are, you know, more, uh, you know, more accessible, but the mages keep it locked up to prevent people from knowing just how much you can get away with. Um, you know, like the signs, we, we they talk about the signs of witcher signs are very simple. They hardly require any magic, if at all. Uh, and all you really need to know is know the correct hand movement and the correct word to say along with that hand movement, and thus you have the sign. Um, and uh, they're very they're very light. They don't have much power, but they are effective in certain uses, and that's why the witchers use them. Um, and uh, you know, we see with Siri that she's she's pulling from these different sources, and you know how magic is all around us. That's that's Yen's entire speech. You know, magic is chaos, science, and art. Um, and it's all about how we use said thing. You know, um, uh, th that's something that's very important. I think in not only the world building of this about how magic is used and how it can be used in different ways. Um, you know, sometimes it's used to create, sometimes it's used to destroy, sometimes it's used to defend, sometimes it's used to invent. Um, and, and I think that's important. Like, if you look at, say, um, the the understanding of, of uh, the nuclear reactions and creating that, you know, Oppenheimer and everyone, they weren't out there necessarily to make... A destructive bomb. They were there to create an energy source that would, you know, bring humanity to a better spot. Uh, Von Braun, uh, the famous uh, uh, missile uh, missile creator who also worked uh, at NASA for a long time and helped us get to the moon, but also worked with the Nazis to create the Saturn V. You know that you know he created these. Um, horrible destructive missiles his idea was never to hurt it was to take us to space um and you know same with oppenheimer you know that that's where oppenheimer's you know famous speech i have become death destroyer of worlds because we looked upon that and realized what it could do uh when used wrongly and, and, and that's the point is that magic can be used for good it can be used to help and heal and invent and create but it can also be used to destroy as we saw you know with the after effects of sodden um and speaking of that you know yen uh occasionally touches her eyes in this chapter and you know uh and uh neneki near the end says you know keep keep series safe just like the apple of your eye and she goes hopefully much much better than that you know her loss of eyesight, I talked about this before, has given her a new lease on life. That it's no longer about what she can't have, which is, you know, I want to have 
true love, I want to have a child, blah, blah, blah. It's no longer about that anymore. It's about what she had. She had true love in Geralt. Now she's trying to fix that, and inadvertently, because destiny and fate have things in store for everyone, that has brought with her the chance to have a child. Not one of her own, but an adopted child, and isn't that just the same thing anyway? Does blood really matter at the end of the day? And, and so we see how uh, perceptions have changed, and not only on magic itself, but in Yen. Um, and there's, there's a lot of talk about how Yen is, uh, sometimes doesn't change, but it has also changed a little bit. Uh, we see as she grows softer, definitely, and it definitely brings forward that from the... Uh, uh, the eye thing, but also Neneki notices, you know, she she's like, you know, you, you don't want to do this, blah, blah, and it's also very hard on Yen, but she's also noticing there's some changes in Yen, but she's not sure how that is or what that what that is, and that's really Yen having, because she has lost her sight and then regained it, she has gained a new perspective on what her life is, um, and wants to tone down that sort of Ice Queen demeanor that sort of melted away when she was around Geralt, and really come to understand why she is the way she is. Um, she even repeats a line that Tesea said to her, which we will talk about when we have that flashback many, many moons from now, of there's nothing more pathetic than a sorceress in tears. You know, that, um, you know, that, that sentence has really driven her in a way that I don't think she's ever really thought about. Um, and she even talks to Siri, you know, um, he, she calls Siri her ugly one, which is actually a mistranslation in the English. It's actually supposed to be like Owlet, uh, or equivalent of, uh, you know, a baby owl kind of thing. So, you know, cute, but different, you know, it, it's, you know, piglet or whatever you want to say, really. But it's that kind of thing. It was not meant to be ugly one. And, you know, mistranslations are bound in the English translations because, well... Polish ain't an easy language to translate. Uh, so, uh, but she calls her that, and then in and Siri's like, you know, I'm not ugly. I'm not like that. What do you, you know, I I want to be like you. Uh, and I, and you saying that makes me feel horrible. And she's like, oh, you have no idea how you know fortunate you are. Uh, obviously because Yen was a hunchback in her earlier life, and so, um, Yen fought for everything that she is. Now, this beautiful, beyond belief person, Siri doesn't even have to try for that. Um, and so there, there's this sense of egging her on, uh, to sort of get her to acknowledge that while she is flawed, uh, you know, she also has, um, you know, worth. Uh, and, and as I mentioned before, you know, agency is a big thing in the, this book series, especially, you know, the Witcher saga is all about agency and the right to choose and stuff like that. And we really see that where Siri goes off on this rant about, you know, you, no one asked me what I wanted. Geralt didn't ask me if I wanted to go here. You didn't ask me for this, blah, blah, blah. No one asked me. And Yen says, well, you're a child. And so there are certain things that are outside of your control. However, I will ask do you wish to be, you know, uh, experimented on to see, you know, who, you know, examined to see what, who you really are. Um, and while it wasn't really a question, you know, Yen always wanted the answer to be yes and kind of, uh, you know, poked and prodded Siri to get to the answer. Yes. At least she took the time to ask. 
because no one else has done that before. Uh, and I think that really solidifies the 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 love that Yen and Sirley have is because no one asked Yen what she wanted either. And we see the effects of magic entropy um, and atrophy uh, in this chapter of, you know, when Yen is explaining how to draw from different sources, you know, air, uh, earth, water, and but avoid fire at all costs, you know, kind of thing, that um, when Siri is drawing upon it, it you know, it, it hurts her. Uh, and there, there's like a stinging pain in her abdomen, and she can't get rid of it. And and uh, Yin says you you'll get used to it over time. And it shows that um, while magic is you know special and can be used for great things, it does create harm. Um, and that must come you know with that understanding that things do take their toll. Um, and there's almost an environmental um, environmentalism message in there when Siri talks about how, you know, why can't I, if I, I don't want to draw too much, I don't want to just take, you know, there's still got to be some left. And Yin says, I wish more people thought like that. You know, more people understood that, uh, you know, you can't just take, you also have to give. Um, and that shows how much Yen has grown since the short stories because of what she was willing to do, say, in Bounce of Reason, when she was more than willing to let a dragon die, almost, until, until she changed her mind, just for a cure for her infertility, which probably wouldn't have even worked. So, you know, that really shows that she has taken some lessons to heart. Um, and I like how... The ending, uh, the, the very ending when uh, Naneki's seen everyone off and Yen and Asirai are heading heading out to somewhere, uh, you know, that there, some may call it anticlimactic. Me and, um, uh, me and Josh talked about this a couple chapters ago when he was on, uh, this is a character building book. And because it has no plot, uh, not a plot that is visible at least, um, and it's mainly story and setup and character development and character growth that, you know, it might seem that way. But throughout this entire chapter, but throughout the earlier chapters as well, there was a sense of growing issues going on. And, you know, war is in the air. That That's especially shown at the very beginning of the chapter uh, where everybody's speculating and, and series, you know, uh, being sort of mistreated by the other girls in the temple because she doesn't have a place that she really belongs. And then she goes to Yara uh, and she's trying to act older than act she actually is. And they talk about the political situations, which within of itself is a hilarious meta commentary on the fact that there is no map, an official map by Skowski for this world. And so they have them describe it in a very... Uh, um, in a very strange manner where it avoids specific things but only names countries um, and a sort of a meta commentary of I know how this works but you guys don't that Sapkowski has the idea of the layout what this world looks like you don't need to know because who really gives a crap anyway this is about characters and this is about the social and political commentary the map of the world at the end of the day doesn't really matter do you really need it no not really um, you know it's, is it a bad thing no would I like one? Probably. There's a fan-made one that I don't mind, I uh, but it doesn't really impact me at all. I don't really need one. Um, and I know that that's like a, a big controversial topic for most fantasy readers, but I don't need a map. And I, and I think Skowski's point in that bit of the chapter was there, you don't need one. <laughs> There's no point to it. What is it going to add to the experience? Um, 
Instead, I'll have the characters explain to you what's going on, and you're going to care far more because it's coming from their mouth rather than an emotionless map of some land, you know? And, um, but that feeling of, like, there's, there's war coming, everybody kind of feels it, that, uh, when Siri says, I'll come back, Neneki, I'll see you again, and, and, and the, the final line of the book is, she had no idea how wrong she was, you know, that, that really sent, gives you a sense of, you know, times are changing, um, and not everything is going to be hunky-dory. This book was nice, it was, um, and it provided a way for us to really come to understand who these characters are, uh, and their motivations, and the larger impacts of the world, but now things really are going to come to a head to a point that this may not last, um, and this, uh, in, in, it just creates a sense of you want to pick up the next book immediately. Uh, and well, considering it leads prophecy in the next, uh, this is was blood of elves. And we know that that starts with the blood of elves, you know, the, 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 the soon the land will flow with blood of elves. And then the time of contempt will come. Well, next book is time of contempt. So it really, from the titles, from the, the way he ends it, it's really showing that this was the kind part, <laughs> you know, this was the nice part. This is the part you will, that is needed to look back nostalgically because of what is to come. Speaking of which, I shall now get into a spoiler section real quick. Don't want to talk too much because there'll be a lot more to talk about when we actually get to these moments. But um, Siri has several dreams. Um, and uh, there, there is, uh, you know, she she sees the set abyss. She sees the stairs covered in blood. She sees Yennefer bleeding from the lips. You know, she sees all this stuff. She sees horses, and uh, this is all, you know, stuff that will come up later, like Little Horse and um, and Kelpie, um, you know, Yennefer falling into the Sedna Abyss, getting carried away and uh, captured by Vilgefords, the the stairs that Harn Geralt descend, you know, as Witcher and Witcheress, uh, to finally be free of this horrible, horrible world, um, all that kind of stuff. And then we also get where, uh, we get a flashback bit where Calanthe, um, basically takes an oath from Croc Concrete when Dunny and Pavetta quote-unquote drowned at sea, of course, you know, uh, Dunny, Amir, uh, you know, still alive and well, Pavetta's long gone, and we, we see hints of, like, certain things that she didn't know her dad all that well, and she, all, all she remembered was that her mother was n nearly always sad, um, and, uh, that, that true love may not have been actual true love, um, and that, um, uh, Destiny just as often lies to us as it tells us the truth, which is actually kind of uh, echoing what Yin said, that chaos does not want to show you what it truly is. So it gives you these glimpses of the future to make you afraid of what is to come, to make you afraid of making choices that will that will form who you are. It tries to eat at you. Um, and of course, the this uh, Calanthe taking the oath by Croc and Cray as an uh, you know apology of what happened is important for Yen's arc in later books, uh, and so and, and then getting her to the Sedna Abyss, etc. Um, but like, there's a lot of like little bits that um, you know. Uh, point towards something more is coming down the horizon you know the war we already had the false flag stuff being set up last chapter and so that really comes to a head here where uh we see that that has everybody has a sense that something's coming down the pike but no one knows how or why uh and you know 
it feels all chaotic at the moment. There's no semblance. And um, maybe people are taking action. Maybe people aren't. I also like the, you know, the metal, uh, you know, uh, Yen telling her, uh, Yen telling Siri not to wear metals or particular stones. Uh, we don't know why exactly. We know vaguely that there's something to do with magic as per the last chapter in Tissi is eternal monologue. But, you know, and we know that uh, Yen's obsidian star is slightly different, but those can be tracked and that will be used later. You know, there there is, uh, in she Siri can't remember certain details about the slaughter of Sintra. She remembers, you know, being carried away, uh, being taken up by the Black Knight, Kahir, and then n nothing else, really. And then she remembers her times at Transriver after escaping. You know, perceptions and mis misunderstandings and the way that sort of affects the way we do things um, is important for this entire series, but it's especially important here because of what Kahir and Siri went through. You know, uh, because she was so young and so protected, you know, and because she so feared him because of what had happened uh, to her family, that it, as we see in one of her dreams where he's like, hold on, you know, hold on, Lion Cub, you know, that, that entire thing, that he's actually nice. Uh, he's a good person, as we'll find out. And uh, she misconstrued an act of kindness um, as something else. She mistook him trying to bathe her and keep her clean and keep her healthy as violation as rape as a sexual assault type thing it wasn't intended to be that way uh, but because she was already afraid of him uh you know that that led to one thing to another where it was misunderstood she is a young girl she doesn't fully comprehend this as it is she has a birds and a bees talk with yen and it's just as awkward as you would expect it to be because yen is a very free spirit kind of person and so she has to you know first you check the bed any use without beds you threw out uh then you check and see you know um if uh, if it's a clean bed um and it's a glorious sort of allegory and it's just really really funny but anyway you know so it's about misunderstandings just like the magic thing of how magic can be used in different ways uh you know that's reflected upon this and uh that will come more into head as we uh really truly meet Kahir. You know, Kahir has been a spectre throughout this book. The 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 knight the black knight with the bird of prey, you know, feathers. Um there isn't you know, and as we talked about last time, you know, there's a sense that he's younger uh than uh the way Siri imagines him. But there is no true understanding of what that means. That will really come to a head uh next book when uh when he's truly revealed um, and then Baptism of Fire when he becomes a major player. Um, but I, I do like how she's kind of intentionally blocked that from her mind. Um, and, you know, all that sort of stuff, how that aids the, the themes that are going throughout. Um, and, of course, there there's this, like, nice little irony where uh, Yed at first thinks Siri is... Um, uh, you know, of elven blood, but doesn't see the the full potential of what it is until later, uh, which is interesting, um, because you know we open this uh chapter with uh, trying to pass on genetic traits from one generation to the next, and how Tisea believes all sorceresses should be sterilized to prevent such issues because then it just causes problems, and how motherhood and 
magic, you know, in general, or parenthood in magic, can't go hand in hand. It must be one or the other, and how Yennefer is trying to find a balance in between to make that one, and how that kind of unintentionally reflects upon uh, Ciri's entire lineage as a member of the Elder Blood of this long ongoing lineage uh, to open the doors. You know, the the magic entered through the conjunction of spheres. Uh, pervaded this world, changed this world, and has forever become part of this world, but now the source of that magic is closed off, and it takes someone, in the case of Ciri, to open it up. As, as we saw last chapter, as I vaguely hinted at, you know, that the the doors act as two different things. This first, the destiny, quote-unquote destiny, of her bloodline, which is to open the doors to allow the traversal through worlds again in a much more easier you know, fashion, and that will explicitly become um, uh, clear as Avalok explains it to us later. But uh, also, it is inherently also an, an allegory for Siri as a person that she is being forced through these doors. She doesn't have a choice of what door she wants to go to, and, and everybody sort of pushes her towards a particular door or doing a certain thing. Uh, no one asked her what she wanted, who she is, um, and you know. As we see, she is kind of the combo of Geralt and Yin. You know, physical training is just as important as mental training for magic, so she has trained with the sword and done her pirouettes and all her witcher stuff alongside the learning of, you know, magic. Um, and so she has sort of become, in many ways, a combo of her parents. Not her biological parents, but her adopted parents. And, once again, blood. Does that really mean anything? Um, and that, you know, is a part of this entire series is the Elder Blood. Does it define who Siri is or can she be her own person? Uh, so this is a fantastic chapter and is one I look back upon fondly because of everything that's going to happen later. Uh, you know, um, Blood of Elves is a difficult book because it turns some people off because of the fact that it has no plot and that it is so slow. Um but I say stick with it because you'll find yourself, as you go through the books, looking back upon Blood of Elves and going, remember when times were happy? Even though things aren't particularly happy in this book, they're better than they will be. And so it kind of allows this sense of um, nostalgia to seep in, um, you know, and uh, you can't. You, you, you can't, uh, you know, make an omelet without breaking a few eggs, as the old saying goes. You, you can't uh, tumble a bunch of dominoes without standing them up first. You know, that you, you can't demolish a building without, you know, making it first. That this was all necessary, so when he comes in with that wrecking ball, you know, we feel it deep in our hearts. And because of that, I like Blood of Elves. Is it the best? No. Um, I actually think it is ultimately the weakest out of the core five of the saga. I probably maybe put it in between the short story collections. Um, you know, I've shifted my rankings of the different books. Uh, Season of Storms, you know, isn't, uh, I wouldn't even classify it, you know, as part of the main, like, it's part of the saga, but it's not really because it was made much later. But if I were to rank the books, Blood of Elves would, you know, come in second or third to last. You know, it is not an amazing book, 
but it's still really good and it's very important and you kind of look upon it fondly because of the events of that that is yet to come um my personal favorite is time of contempt but also i do love all these little itty bitty moments especially in tower swallows and lady of the lake so i have a hard time you know sort of shuffling it in and like i said that sometimes i switch around my rankings of the books but ultimately i do think blood of elves as the core five novels is the weakest of them and is probably somewhere in between in quality of the short stories it is Sapkowski's first novel and as a result it does show that in many ways uh but also it does help it as Josh said you know each chapter kind of feels a bit episodic but there's a sense that something's growing in the background and that allows you to uh go on this journey with these characters and enjoy being with them you know that goes along with my point of because you enjoy being with them, you look upon this book more fondly after you've read the preceding ones. So, you know, Blood of Elves is this complicated book where some people absolutely despise it because it's slow. Some people love it because it's slow. Some people like me are in the middle of it. Um, and, and, and sometimes it throws people off because, you know, they go from the short stories to this and it's like grinding to all because, you know, this is someone who's inexperienced with novels at first and he will grow and be better as time goes on. So Blood of Elves is in this weird sort of situation um, that, you know, does, quote unquote, make it unadaptable, as I, me and Josh talked about, and why uh, so many changes were made to Netflix. And does it does it need that many changes? Does it need to be inherently rewritten? No. Um, they could have done it in better ways, but, you know, I'm not them. And, you know, uh, I do see the merit in adding stuff to make it more enjoyable in another medium. Uh, but anyway, I shall see you next time for the first chapter of Time of Contempt, uh, the book on where everything turns, and not all for the better. Uh, things are going to get very, very hard for our trio, our beloved trio, and all we're going to ever want is for them to be happy once again. See you then. Bye. Bye.